0: Welcome to your weekly dose of comedy with your host, Dana Pereira. Where's our participation trophy? What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Where's Our Participation Trophy. I'm Dana Pereira. And kicking us off is Corey Lane Hilton. He is an author and a former male exotic dancer. Hey.
1: Hey, Dana, how you doing out that way today? I
0: am doing great. So I led with author. Yes. Um, I didn't tell them the steps you had to take mm. to write this book. That is called Take It Off, Revelations yeah. of a Male Exotic Dancer.
1: Yeah, it's not about me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually... Um, yeah, it's it's quite the journey to be completely straightforward about it. Because I have very as far as my past career in that insane industry, it's sort of the foregone industry that's kind of misunderstood in a lot of ways. You know, when you have the stereotypes of what a male exotic dancer might be, a lot of people can paint that picture pretty quick, right? Mm-hmm. But for me, it was kind of one of those things that I was a little different. I was actually 25 years in this industry. So when it came down to my entry into this, I started off and I'm up here in Canada. So uh, the legal drinking age here in Canada is 19 years old, but I started off in the bars. I celebrated in Canada at my 19th birthday. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, what's funny, Dana, is is that I celebrated my 19th birthday pretending it was my 21st birthday in Canada because I started in the bars when I was 17 years old. So I had to (laughs) pretend that I was 21. So I'm just saying, I was going to high school. My grandparents who raised me, believe it or not, supported me on my mission of being a dancer. And even my father, who was in the construction industry, helped me help me to design some shows to make some elaborate stuff that was kind of out outside of those typical YMCA cop, construction worker, and fireman. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like yeah. I you all wanted to go and expand that and be far more creative. And that's what really brought me. To a lot of places that most male exotic dancers don't even go to so when you start off that young right like it's very intimidating i walked into a scene as a guy that was kind of like i guess you could say i didn't really have a lot of self-confidence in fact uh-huh. i had a lot of self-doubt i was yeah. very kind of like unworthy kind of feeling and and always looked for other things to be able to, I guess you could say, find love through, but I could never really truly love myself. So when I found that alter ego going into this industry, I got the acceptance that I wanted and I had more and more acceptance as I went along, right? So yeah. I really, really enjoyed that, that com- emotional connection that I had with my audience. And that was, that was above and beyond even the money, the women anything else. It was all about that emotional connection to bring that out of somebody, whether it be crying, laughing, whatever it was like, I wanted to see that come out of that person and i really achieved that so many times that it gives me goosebumps to this day so yeah that is
0: so it's interesting to see because there are you know female um exotic dancers strippers whatever you want you can call them what
1: you like yeah and
0: and they have kind of a different rap like so nobody's father is helping them figure out what the fuck they're going to do on stage you know like <laughs> not they're even not mom. like five six seven eight you
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah so, yeah so
0: it's interesting so how old were you, were you 19 when you started dancing
1: no. well actually i started the industry i started at 17 because here in canada like okay i'm just going to paint a little picture for you so back in the day when when i started it was around 1987 and so I don't know, we're talking about way about, but 1987 <laughs> was kind of in the heyday of the ladies night scene back then. So I actually got introduced through a friend of mine that I was working out with at the time, I kind of my body was a bit of a metamorphosis through a couple of years. And all of a sudden I was kind of muscular. And, and this guy that I worked out with, he said to me, Corey, he was like, you know, you should just wear a university shirt. I work as a bouncer at this club. And if you came down there, you would have a freaking blast. Right. So I said, okay, I'll throw a university shirt on. I show up at seven o'clock. The bar's just opening, not a soul <laughs> around. Right. Like, I'm just like, oh, I'm so nervous. I have to be here early. So I show up. And of course he's the only one there and the manager. So he turns around and he says to me, he says, oh, this is Chris, Chris, this is Corey. And I was like, oh, Hey, Chris. Shake his hand and he says, Oh, you're going to school, I see. Oh, yeah, I'm going to school. Now, I didn't lie. I was going yeah. to high school. But right, yeah. And so he didn't
0: ask what school. <laughs>
1: right. So, next thing he says, Do you need to make extra money? I'm like, Of course. I'm a starving student. Everybody needs money. And he's like, Okay, take your shirt off. I like, look around. There's nobody around. Okay, I'll take my shirt off. You're hired. What am I hired for? I don't know. <laughs> Right. He's like, be here Tuesday. Uh, What am I doing? You're going to serve drinks and you get 15% of everything you serve during ladies night and you basically keep all your tips. I'm like, that sounds good. Tuesday nights, Hawaiian night, Thursday nights, Chippendale style night, cuffs and collars right on. So Wednesdays and Fridays, when I went to high school, I had a wad of cash in my pocket and I was buying fries and gravy for everybody in the cafeteria. Right. So it was kind of one of those things, right? Like I wasn't dating the girls in high school in general. I was dating the women at the club. Like it was kind of like this weird thing where you get plunked into this environment at 17 years old. And, you know, I was just barely out of virginity, so to speak. And here I am right. walking into this. And I had a nightmare, a nightmare about being exposed in public when I was a kid. Like I always thought to myself, oh my God, you know, I'd literally wake up shuddering thinking I had my dick hanging out of my friggin' pants, walking down the street, right? Like I would yeah. shudder about it. And then what do I do? I walk right into my biggest fear. Go do that. And then I'm standing there on my first night, Dana, in the the back change room. And the change room was unisex. And they had female dancers on one side, male dancers on the other side, velvet rope in the middle. And it was like, you go back there. And I'm just getting changed coming out of ladies. And I got my pants around my ankles, buck naked. And and these two girls are coming in from doing a duo act outside. Come walking in and they're just like, oh, hi, what's your name? And I'm just like, uh, <laughs> like I was just like deep 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 right and it was just so funny so as much as it sounds crazy like that was kind of my entry into it and then the interesting part happened because I was working doing that I also started working checking IDs at the door so here I was <laughs> That's under so age. ironic <laughs> I'm underage I'm literally I'm, I'm 18 years old and I'm asking people for their ID and I have got cops standing next to me asking me how my night is and I'm like shooting the shit with them and so we had everything from pimps, hookers, everything else coming into this club. And I was right in there with the mix. And so what happened with that was there was a group from Florida that came up and they were like the number one burlesque show in all of North America at that time. So Ooh. when they showed up, they were like, these guys were heavy hitters. Like they were like really well respected. And the the agent, he says to me, he's like, yeah, you know, because he says, you have like no neck, but you, you know, you're a big guy. You have a great build. He's like, you got a good look. <laughs> Neck. Yeah, but you have no neck, right? Like he's like, but you're probably the nicest son of a bitch I've ever met in my life. So I have to, to ask you, would you be interested in coming to work for my review someday in Florida? And I said, well, to be honest, I'm kind of connected here right now. I'm pretty young. I don't know if I could do that. And he said, here's my card. And I kept that guy's card in my pocket for years and I never touched it. I left it off to the side. And then what happened was I actually met up with the number one male exotic dancer, nude male exotic dancer in all of Canada, and he became my mentor. And he taught me not only how to become a great dancer and a great entertainer, but he actually taught me how to treat people with respect and to come in dressed the right way, not be the typical male male dancer, not that stereotypical guy, but the guy that could actually hold his head up high doing an insane job like we did. And that got me a lot more credibility. It got me a lot more bookings and it brought me into a position where I was one of the top dancers in Canada in no time. And it just kind of snowballed from there. It really did. And it was like, we started creating a name. So we sat there and it's like, you know, I'm sitting, I'm Corey. And then he said to me, he's like, well, we have to give you a name. And I said, well, he said, well, what's your favorite movie? And At the time I was like, Oh, Roadhouse. I love me some Patrick Swayze. I'm a bouncer. You know, it makes (laughs) sense. Right. (laughs) So he says, Oh, well, what's the main character's name? Dalton. Okay, that's your first name. And uh, you're a pretty big guy. Um, hmm, 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 What can we go with? And we ended up coming up with Strong in like 10 minutes. So my dad's name ended up being Dalton Strong here in Canada, right? Okay. So that was the branding for that. And then we made a Terminator act and it was me using my own voice, trying to pretend to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is <gasps> I, absolutely horrible.
0: You have got to do it for me right oh, now.
1: Oh, no, I cannot do it. It's not fantastic at all, Dana. <laughs> I can't do it. So anyways, and I, so I tried my best, right? And it was not fantastic. It was horrible. <laughs> so I, uh, so I, I went and tried to do this. And when you're hearing your own voice, actually, you know, trying to pretend to be Arnold while you're walking out pretending to be Arnold and you go out for your very first show, and you're walking through this audience and you have the laser scope on your gun and you're coming through the fog and it's all dramatic. And all of a sudden, boom, you see five girls from your graduating class in the <gasps> front row of your, in your very first show. And you're just like, oh, and I have to show my shit. And I'm like, oh, my God, and I'm like doing my first nude show. but here's And the-
0: had to be Arnold
1: and had to be Arnold. So I was I wasn't just walking around with one gun in my hand. I had two guns in my hand going out there, right? <laughs> so <laughs> So but here's the really crazy part. This is this is, I hope your audience is sitting down for this because I'm going to educate your audience on something right now. There's a massive difference between dancers in Canada and dancers in the US. And I came oh. to realize this when I had to go out and do my first show because my agent told me you have to make the sacrifice. When you go nude, you have to do something that is a little bit beyond your most people's morals. And I said, what is that? And she, she says, you have to go back into the change room wherever your change room ends up being. You have to go back and get an erection.
0: Uh-huh. I yeah. I got to make it a, hard.
1: Yeah. And then you tie an elastic band around the base of it to keep it tied, t- keep oh. it hard. Oh my God. And- so, yeah, think about um, a dog, you know, you tie off dog's tails to, you know, snip them with that. Right. So it was kind of like same thing, except for you don't do it that long. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I go back, I get changed. I do my thing, get in my costume, do that, get it all there, whatever. And I was kind of worried, being nervous. And I was supposed to loop that elastic around three times, but I'm like, no, I'm going to make sure. So I lapped it, wrapped it around four times. Oh my God. Yeah. And unfortunately it was like a day and a half where I couldn't feel anything down there. And I thought I'd, you know, done some major damage, which I didn't in the end, it was okay. Oh. But I went for an honesty again. I went through like 10 years, almost 10 years of dancing in Canada, doing tie-offs, running around from show to show sometimes in the back of a car being driven by your driver in Winnipeg and it's minus 30 outside and you're having to do show to show like three or four shows in a night and you're back in the back seat going, okay, wrap this thing up and let's go. <laughs> We give it a
0: few, a few nugs here and then wrap it up.
1: There's no time for shrinkage at all. Right. Like you gotta go. Oh
0: my God. Yeah. You're like negative 32.
1: (laughs) I got this. (laughs) Yeah. Shrinkage my ass. We're going. So, you know, and so that was kind of that and then what ended up happening from there and I mean I can rattle on it for days you don't even ask me I questions love I, tell you. I love it I love
0: it
1: yeah right so I ended up like going out there and I did some shows and I did some failures because I'm Mr. Creative so I went out there and tried to do some stuff that I thought was cool it wasn't that cool that I had a few bomb shows where I was I kind know, of like oh, what were they
0: brutal. you have to share it. what uh, was your one worst, of your biggest bombs
1: the b- worst worst one I ever did it's embarrassing to say this I can't even believe I'm saying this <laughs> okay so I actually pretended I was trying to be a vampire and it was halloween and i actually built a casket and i had them wheel me out in this casket and it was like i had this dry ice that i'd set up so that it would flow out of the top of the casket and then i'd pop the casket open and i would be just like you know whatever and that was gonna be my my big thing just you know the free the, the Halloween themed show well anyway it didn't end up working the dry ice didn't come out of the side of it I was down there it, it just didn't work so that failed and then I just came have, out like, and I burns was like,
0: on the side yeah, of your arm yeah. all it
1: was is this dude gets wheeled out in a box and opens up the box hi I'm here and it was just like the crowds just kind of sitting there looking at me like what the hell are you doing right and, and then it was like we also added in because I was like okay I'm going to be creative and I added in this little thunder sound at the end of each song and that was like cringeworthy in its own right? Cause it was already a failure. So I'm at the end of each song and I'm hearing this thunder sound and I'm just like, Oh God, this is so horrible. Like just get me off the fucking stage right now. It's the brutalist. And so like that happened. And then one other thing happened actually where I got injured really bad doing a show where I was in Edmonton and they had this scaffolding material. So like Basically, you had this like setup where it was in the round. So there's all these girls and they they were in this like, um, they were all around you and then then the stage was set up like six feet above the actual dance floor with scaffolding and it was like plywood on the top. So the dancers were at eye level with the crowd, right? So I'm out there and I'm doing this, my patented spin move, and I'm spinning across this whole stage from one side to the other. And when I did my spin move, I'd always end it with a plant of one foot and a kick out the other way. And I just kind of like launch myself. And what I did was I spun one too many times and I went off, I went to the side of the stage and I went to plant my foot and I planted it into air. And I actually hit my ankle on the side of it and dragged my ankle all the way, not just from my ankle, but all the way up the inside of my leg, down the side of that, that plywood uh, and bam, my crotch right off the side of it, flipped over, uh, ended up down six feet on the ground thinking that I had broke my And your my balls leg.
0: were all like tied everything, up, weren't you afraid they popped?
1: <laughs> uh, right? Well, actually, fortunately that was not a tie-off show. That was a review dance show. So it was one of the moments I wasn't tied off. But the funniest part of that is, is that here I was laying there bleeding on the, on the floor and the crowd goes dead silent. Like they went from like woohoo to like dead silence. I just uh, gasp. And then all my guys come down. They're worried about me and stuff. And then I pick my ass up and I walk back up on the stage. I'm still bleeding. And I throw my blanket down and they're just laying there doing bodybuilding poses while all these girls are lined up with sympathy tips, just throwing money at me like this poor son of a bitch. He needs a dollar let's just give this guy something for his pain. <laughs> his show sucked, but we'll, we'll hook him up for this one, right? <laughs> so just he's got nerd. medical bills
0: to cover. Yeah, this boy's
1: <laughs> got some medical <laughs> bills he has to deal with. And if he ties his dick off that way again, he's going to have some real medical yeah. bills. <laughs> so, it's just so oh funny when I think about that, right? So then, you know, but I mean, it, it honestly, it was just such a whirlwind, like 25 years being in that industry was just so insane. And had so many learning experiences and you know it brought me to the point where I went Mr. Nude Western Canada I was second in Mr. Nude Canada and and, you know that's a whole other story even like I I, Mr. Nude Western Canada I was tied off for almost an hour and a quarter actually because some guy went on before me and that was another incident where I lost the feeling and I was standing there after the show after I won it signing pictures for girls and girls wanting to take me home and I'm looking at them, thinking to myself "Ah, I I won't be able to (laughs) yeah you know, you may as well just take the banana home with you. You're probably going to yes. get a whole lot more out of it. You know, like and so that was the reality of that. But oh, yeah, so man. That, that was my Canadian experience.
0: You told <laughs> me that your Canadian yeah. alter ego mm-hmm. was Dalton Strong. So yeah. did you have a different American name?
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I When I moved to the States, I actually just went under my real name, which is my real name and my real middle name, Corey Lane. So if you'll notice on my book, it's Corey Lane Hilton's Take It Off, right? So I did. And, and the thing is, is like when I went to the States, I walked into a whole new world. I left my family, I left my friends, I left everything in my world behind to, to pursue this career in this this other side of this industry, right? And so for me, it was like just uh when you step into a new world of no judgment and you're not really normalized anymore you're looked at like a superstar as soon as you walk down and walk through the door so like i I drove up there on my first day we i went in a tour van with a bunch of guys a bunch of male dancers like seven of us in a tour van and we went from like from washington state all the way like diagonal across the country to florida three days worth of driving and we got down there and then it was like we drove up to the club the first time and i see this massive like vegas style billboard with my picture with the rest of the guys on it and it's like life size and i'm just like holy fuck this is like crazy like this is beyond like yeah okay i've done these contests in canada and i was known well there but this is another level right wow right so yeah it just went boom and then then the then the party stage started right oh
0: yeah i love a party stage but i have to ask you really quick just because it popped into my mind you're on a tour bus with yeah. a bunch of dudes, like yeah. that's a lot of tied-off testosterone in that bus, right? <laughs> so, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. How, a lot of was ego. there
0: any like conflicts going on there, or was it more like you know yeah. we're a team, we're a family kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, it's kind of like being in a band. I mean, there's an there's an element of ego that comes into play even if you're in a band too, right? Like if you're turning yeah. around, right? Like you are a family, you have each other's back, right? Like, but we were all new, like. That was the interesting part of when I went to Florida was that I got introduced to five guys that were already in the group that were new guys in the group from Florida. And so what that happened was, okay, I'll just backtrack a little bit. What happened okay. was, is when I joined up with this group, uh, I called that agent and that had the, had the card, I called him uh-huh. up and I said, Hey man, you know, this is, this is Corey, the guy with no neck that worked at Casablanca up there in Canada. And he's like, Oh my God. I like, wow. And he was like, what was you know, the timeline
0: away. in between there from the time he about, gave you the card till you called him.
1: It was about five years. Wow. Yeah. It was about five years. Yeah. Yeah. And he remembered me big time. So he said, you have the best timing in the world, man. And I was like, why? And he said, well, my entire 10 man review just actually left. They, they bailed on me and I just started a new group and there's, there's five of those guys are coming to Canada and they're coming up there for three weeks so I'm going to make you a deal. If you can get those guys to all their shows on time and you can learn the choreography in the three weeks that they're up there, yeah. you have yourself a position. So I was like, you know, I'm sitting there 26 years old going, dude, I'm on this. Yeah. Right? So I, I learned all of it. I got them all the shows on time. And then all of a sudden it was like my grandfather who's supported me through my entire career is driving me across the border, like to, to sneak into, this tour van, and then he's like just going across the border, of course, for gas, and I'm throwing my luggage in and taking off to be a stripper in Florida,
0: right? <laughs> oh, thanks, grandpa
1: <laughs> Yeah, right. So yeah, it was just crazy, and then that whole world, like, because truthfully, like, I was very like, like, I was a bodybuilder, and I had my 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 my, I guess you could say, experience with that, because I was trying to go pro one time in that, so yes i had dove into the steroids a little bit back then because i had a mission i was trying to be a pro i stopped that because i wasn't gonna i didn't want to die by the time i was 45 so i was like you know what i'm just gonna do this i'm gonna do this contest get the body that i can and then work from there so that's how i kind of you know made sure that the body was always something that i could lean on i was leaned on my exterior the problem was i never really worked on my interior until two years ago Two years ago, like at 50 years old or 49 is when I started to finally figure that out.
0: You got to start somewhere with that, right? Like, and it's not, there's a lot of people like I didn't start working on myself until I hit 30 years old and I was early. I was really fucking early. That's early.
1: That is really But I think
0: that I was forced into it kind of because I had two kids when I was 23 and 24. Mm. And so I was gotcha. kind of, I grew up a lot through my 20s. And by the time I hit 30, I was like, all right, time to work on me. Right. But is there anything that you attribute um, to you starting out in that field? Like, is there like <laughs> a childhood thing that you're like, no, I went through a ah. lot. I <laughs> had some trauma or, yeah, and yeah. I'm not saying that all Um, strippers have trauma, but there's a good amount of them that do. So did that factor into any of that?
1: I love, 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 love that question. It's almost like you were reading my mind. You must have ESPN over there or something. <laughs> so, basically, um, what was interesting? This is wrote in the first chapter of my book. See, my book actually is not just a biography about a bunch of stripper stories. What I actually did was is I wrote the stripper stories five years ago, and then I did all this mad introspection through this last few years to figure out why the fuck did I do half this crazy stuff, yeah. right? So, anyway, what happened was is in my first chapter. I also, I, at the beginning of every chapter, I have a value, like a, one of my main values, and I have the struggle that was with the value. And that's reminded through the chapter. So you're, as the reader, they can go, okay, now I understand why this guy's talking about his struggle with truth and perception. Yeah. Or the, the value is truth. The struggle was perception, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about being a kid, for example, oh, I'll add on this too. At the end of every chapter through my I'm un- Unhazed reality at this age now i I wrote out a portion that's called the naked truth after each story in the chapter so it's actually me saying okay yeah i should have been accountable for that i fucked up here this was what i shouldn't have done you know and being real about it being accountable about it that's liberating that's like that's what i was looking for so and without you know being looking down at anybody just being authentic and you know saying there was bad apples in my life but they were bad apples of good intent the majority of the time
0: yeah and owning your shit is important too i'm impressed with that
1: I try, but but the, I will say though the, the childhood stuff there was there was a couple of ma- major moments, um, and I wrote this in the first chapter. Truth and perception is is that, and it's called my first chapter is actually called um, uh, Goodbye Caterpillar, Hello Butterfly because I actually did literally come out of my cocoon at this time. But what it was is uh, this is just funny, but. Um, as a kid, I didn't have a lot of emotional connection. I was raised by my grandparents. My my grandfather was military, Canadian Navy. He was like World War II vet, just robot, like just programmed to no emotion. And then on top right. of that, his he was depression era. So like his mom committed suicide in the depression. And he just had all this hardship, like really bad, bad hardship that really caused him, forced him to internally disconnect with his family members with a lot of things he had a great heart. He was the greatest man ever, but he just, he couldn't, it just wasn't in him. Right. So yeah. basically what happened was as a kid, when you don't hear the, I love yous, when you don't hear the sweeties, the honeys and all that stuff, you don't hear any of that. You don't see your parents doing any physical contact. It's just like this default parenthood, default childhood. And you're just kind of set in this mediocre kind of situation. So what ended up happening was. I really strived for that emotional connection, hence why I loved being a dancer, because I get that emotional reaction from people by the crazy shit I was doing on stage. But long before that, when I was about five years old, I would actually wait for company to show up at my parents' house when it rarely did. They'd all be sitting out in the kitchen playing cribbage or whatever, talking about the weather. And I'd be in my bedroom and there was an entryway to the kitchen from my bedroom. And then you could kind of like cross from my bedroom to the bathroom and you could see me if I was to walk by. So what I would do is get into my bedroom. I'd strip down naked and I'd start running back and forth between the bathroom and the bedroom. I just wanted to get the reaction. Give me some laughs. Give me something, right? So I always Anything. just kind of, and in <laughs> that moment, in that moment, my parents just had this brutal, brutal reality. They were just like, this kid is either going to be a male exotic dancer. Or he's going to be a pole vaulter. They just saw it. They just (laughs) knew, you know, it was going to be one or the other. Right. So I joke it, but I mean, I'm just saying that it's kind of one of those things where that, that it's almost like Eddie Murphy when he was doing the whole thing with raw. I don't remember that back in the day, but he would tell a joke and it was like dirty and the whole family would laugh about it just to get the emotional rise. That was me like, but a stripper, (laughs) you know, so, so that happened. And then the trauma with a little T is really just, um, from two things. It's actually from perception and one was uh, my aunt and uncle who were i were like basically you know older than i were was obviously but i kind of considered them brothers and sisters cuz i was up a generation i got adopted to my grandparents uh-huh. so they actually took me to the fair and they took me to the fair as a little kid they put me on the ferris wheel by myself i end up stuck at the top of the ferris wheel the thing's creaking back and forth the wind's oh, blowing i'm oh. freaking out i'm crying my freaking eyes out i'm traumatized as I'll get up and I was like, oh, my God, I had this brutal th- like fear of heights after that. It just killed me, right? So anyways, and I finally, you know, I get through all that. And years and years and years later, I talked to my aunt about it. I said, God, Aunt Carol, like, why in the hell would you ever do that to a kid? Like, you, you and Wayne would never do that. I don't understand. Like, you're good people. Like, why would you do that to me when I was that age? Like, that's kind of cruel. And she just started laughing her guts out. And I was like, what are you? Why are you laughing? And she's like, Corey we were at the mall i shoved a quarter in the thing it was a little seven feet tall ferris wheel at the mall you were being such a pussy. you were just sitting at the top of the thing crying like a bitch well, and i was like oh okay okay that makes sense but in my head the perception was oh right scary well crazy. it's you know, kind right? of
0: like that um when you go back to your elementary school right yeah like when yeah. you're in elementary school the hallways are so big and the lockers yeah. are huge and the bathrooms are huge totally. and- And then you go back fifteen years later, and you're like, "Holy shit! This is like the hallways are tight and small with these little miniature lockers, and like,
1: you know." I I actually use that reference. I've used that reference a few times. It is literally like that, actually. And then, and then the the second small t was actually abandonment. So what happened with that was, and just again, like small traumas—nothing that even a therapist would even consider crazy—but at the same time, it just affected me in a weird way, and so like I was with my grandmother one time we were at some clothing store at the mall like you know there's all the coat racks and they're all close together and the kid's being stupid and he's running around through the coat racks and letting them brush across his face and just you know being a typical kid well you know my mom's out there shopping doing her thing and I just get lost in the coat racks I'm on the other side of the Reagan place somewhere right and all of a sudden I'm like my mom's not here and I'm disoriented and I'm like looking at the person at the the change room. And I'm like, can you please call my mom? <laughs> You're <laughs> all high
0: on polyester. Where yeah. <laughs> <am I? laughs>
1: yeah, Let me take one more <laughs> sniff of this jacket before I go to see her. But yeah, no, it was just kind of funny. And that, that sense of abandonment actually was weirdly enough, a thing that I carried in a weird way, even with my relationships sometimes where I was like, you know, I'd have a breakup and then all of a sudden I'm thinking to myself, why am I so upset? Most people yeah. don't get this upset, but why am I really like letting this carry on for so long? And then I kind of had to backtrack and, through introspection figure some of those things out right and it goes deeper than that I actually had to go seven levels deep of why I felt like I had this weird abandonment thing and it it does go deeper but I could be here all day talking about that. <laughs> it was kind of, well, honestly kind of boring but uh, you know but the, the whole transition to Florida Dana was just like that was a whole other story like that that was where like that emotional disconnect that I had that was where like it automatically connected through the party scene. And it was just like, and yes, it was chemically based. And, Uh you know, I'd never taken a drug in my life. I met it, took a six pack to a party when I was in high school, didn't smoke weed, didn't do any of that stuff. Right. Like I was really clean as a whistle, like even kept my diet really clean and everything. Right. Uh So here I go down to Florida and my buddy Damon from Alabama, he's like, Hey, Corey, why don't you take this here, this here, uh, little pill? Cause uh, I took one the other night and he's like, this thing is just, you know, it'll blow your mind. Right. And I was like, oh, what's one little pill going to do? Pop. Yeah. I didn't think much of it, right? Next thing you know, like all of a sudden that hits me and I'm like, it's almost like it was like when you haven't eaten, you've eaten food all your life, but you haven't really tasted food before. And all of a sudden you get the taste and it's like the new sensation hits you and it's just like the gooseies hit you and all that stuff that comes with that territory. And, it's so yeah. good oh god i just went into love fest like love fest 1996 love it was just like everybody
0: crazy. on ecstasy. Ex- so yeah. Ex- ecstasy was a big one for me whenever i i was in a raver stage there for a while and i loved ecstasy oh god And it's my mom at one point. Somebody asked me if I could get them pills, and my mom saw an email and she was like, You're a drug dealer. I'm like, (laughs) Oh, no, not a drug dealer. (laughs) I felt bad for my husband at one point because he's never tried anything, and I'm like, Mm. Oh man, Mm. you're so unlucky because (laughs) ecstasy is fantastic. But I have four kids. So it's not like oh, I can just no. like go grab some pills and be like, come on, yeah. honey, let's go, you know,
1: <laughs> Well, but but you got it in while you could, right? I you did. Know? Oh, so, I did. Yeah. I got it in
0: hard while I could. And yeah. I, I had kids when I was 23 and 24. So, you know, Jeez. my drug use stopped, you know, at 22. And, yeah. you know, wasn't didn't touch it since then. But man, it yeah. was fun times.
1: It opened a new door up for me of creativity too, where I was like, you know, and I went through this massive like popularity thing where I was the most popular person at the club like I would be wearing these big like this big crazy like five foot tall Jiminy cricket hat that was blue walking through this club and like everybody could see me from the entire bar or like. You know this place held like eight thousand people and I, after a show i'd be just out there some club kid running around like the life of the party having a blast like yeah you know in the vip section with the rest of my dancers making female dancers crawl across the floor pretending they were a cat with me behind them pretending it was a dog <laughs> and just being stupid and just doing crazy shit that most people would never dream of doing they're usually sitting there in their cubicle doing stuff while i'm running around the beach in a g-string you know throwing jellyfish yeah. at people or whatever right like it's just being like a, stupid a
0: little pill of confidence you can- <laughs> (laughs) It feels so good. And you just assume, even if some people are looking at you like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? Yeah, you don't care. Care.
1: Not at all. Yeah. (laughs) Not at all. I could be walking around in a pink tutu and I'm like, How's the weather, man? You know, I I don't even care. (laughs) It was so great. And for somebody that actually was very self-conscious about my own, you know, just as far as self-doubt and all that kind of stuff, it opened up that door and and realistically, like I didn't feed my, my, my dancing alter ego with it. I was always straight when I went on stage, I made sure of doing that. I was always responsible with that stuff. But I think the the dark side of my, that scene down there wasn't the ecstasy as much. It was the GHB. The GHB was something that really, like, I saw some majorly crazy stuff happen with that. And, you know, I'm not here to judge on people. Like I really am not because I'm be hypocritical. We just talked about a bunch of right? stuff. I'm yeah. not here to say, <laughs> don't do it. But at the same time, like, yeah ghb you know like i mean gate rape drug I, I i witnessed everything happen with that one people getting doses even my own wife my own ex-wife got dosed with it at one point unintentionally um, somebody intentionally did it to her and it almost killed her she was only 95 pounds and about four foot oh, ten and it was man. on my birthday and she almost died in a bathtub right in front of me like and that's in my book right that and, is
0: terrifying
1: and, yeah and you want to talk reality like we had been partying dropping ecstasy all night having a good time then all of a sudden that hit and it was like sun was rising and she's hyperventilating in the bathtub and above that tub of cold water, right? Yeah. And and I was in tears losing my mind and she didn't even know what was even happening. And irresponsibly, I didn't even call an ambulance because I was so messed up myself. So I look back and that's part of my naked truth where I sit there and go, yeah, Corey, you really fucked up there. She could have yeah. died, you know, and and really. And that was something that I guess I could, all I can say is, is that you know, when I actually read that chapter of my book to my ex now, we haven't been together for 15 years, right? We only talked maybe three times since our split. But when I read that chapter to her recently, we were both in tears on the phone and I wrote it like I couldn't, I was kept going to my water glass trying to drink it because I was just like, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, cause it was like just so hard to go back to that moment. Like it was just so intense and well, do you emotionally think brought some, some
0: healing to that oh, relationship
1: yeah 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 for sure in fact my my authenticity brought a lot of healing to the relationship where i truthfully like okay i'll be real um through my entire marriage i'm pretty damn proud of this i was on the road with a bunch of male dancers running around all over the bloody place and um believe it or not, while they were out getting action behind the freaking stage or whatever it was, I was the guy that collected my money, went back to my room. I was calling my wife, collecting them, counting money, going, baby, we're hitting Victoria's Secret when I get back. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm buying those presents for me and you. Yeah. You know, like I was just all about that, right? Like I, I really took pride in that, like just being keeping my marriage monogamous. And so I was really about that. But you know what? it degraded in the end and it was not hundred percent her fault. It was my fault. I did a lot of changing. I, I lost my creativity. I went out of the industry for a while and believe it or not, a lot of people would think, how could a wife actually take her man being a male exotic dancer out there taking his clothes off for a bunch of women. Well, it was way worse for her when I quit. It was yeah. the other way around because yeah. when I quit and I lost that excitement and that creativity in my life, I lost the, I lost a part of me. And that was what she loved. And so when I lost that, she fell out of love with me. And understandably, I went into a comfort zone where I started taking things for granted. And I pushed her towards cheating on me in the end. And she didn't. And she went to a place where she could never take it back and it never did heal, you know. But it healed in the end because I turned around and said, look. I'm using my thumb now for half of this. Okay. I'm not going to point the finger at you anymore. I'm not going to sit there and let you carry the rest of your life, this weight on your shoulders anymore. I don't want that for you. I want you to live your life without blame, without all this guilt, just, just be, be your own authentic self and get out there and just enjoy life. Cause you know what? It's too short, you know, stop yeah. living in the past. Right. Yeah. So,
0: and it was what 15 years ago you
1: said. Yeah. Now she's one of my biggest fans. Like she's got my book on order, man. She can't wait uh, to read it. Right. Because the cool thing with that too, though, Dana was, as I turned around and said, Hey, would you be willing to partner up with me and help me out a little bit? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm writing this, but I'd really like your perspective on a couple of these scenes too. So it's not just me telling one side of this, like tell me how you felt about this when you were, we were going through divorce. Tell me about this. Tell me how you felt about this when we were having sex on a balcony, 23 stories up overlooking the Gulf of Mexico and a helicopter blew by. Tell me how you felt (laughs) at that particular moment. She was like, well,
0: there was a breeze. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) But, 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 But I was trying to get those emotional Feelings, though, Right. Because that's yeah. something to do with, like, I learned a lot to do with my writing with authenticity to really find my values and then find the emotional feelings that were connected to those values. And then what I really did from there was went okay, like when all those, those emotional feelings are at a maximum, when they're all aligned perfectly, my actual true inner purpose feeling that represents all those feelings is one word. And I created the word of harmony. Harmony is the word that represents that. So if I, and it's impossible to be at a maximum, and all that. that's perfection, just yeah. doesn't happen. But the closer that I'm aligned to that, the more harmonious I am in my daily lifestyle. So I always have to keep those things in check, right? Like I kind of, I'm weird like that. What I do is, is I'm like, I'm like, okay, what did I do today? Oh, I was on, I was scrolling on social media from one to 10. How does that make me feel? About a three. Yeah. That's, about, that's about a three. When I go, oh, but I went ziplining earlier today. How does that make me feel? Ooh, that's about a nine. Yeah, that was yeah, that's there. pretty cool. And then I'm thinking about, man, maybe I'm going to a hike with my dog. That was about a seven. And then when I actually think about those things, if I'm doing other things in my day that maybe I'm not feeling that good or whatever, I have to ask myself, where am my vibration? Like what from a number one to 10, where am I at? If I'm down to the three, then I got to go, you know what? I got to do something that brings my vibration up. I'm not, Yeah. I'm not keeping it upright, you know? And then so I'm not attracting the right people into my life if I don't do that. So as soon as I did that, that was the big game changer. And it took writing the book to do that. It really did. Like when I wrote the book, then I, I started taking people out of my life through my authenticity or not at least not camping with them anymore. Yeah. And, and and, and getting that out of my way and then bringing and opening a door for all these incredible new people to come into my life and you know just being bold and and going and and, and approaching people that I used to think were unapproachable right and just kind yeah. of go hey I went to in fact a gentleman by the name of Trey Crowder who's from Tennessee who's like this kick-ass comedian. He's called the liberal redneck. I love him to death. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's so good. Google him. You'll love he him. He
0: sounds right up my alley though.
1: <laughs> oh, he's just so cool. And he's the nicest guy ever. He's got a bazillion followers. If you can get him on your show, do it. He's I'm so gonna awesome. I'm going to try. Yeah, he, 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 he has the well-read podcast. i going to
0: drop him. your name.
1: <laughs> yeah, do it. He knows me well. He really does. But what was funny was is about five years ago or so, I hadn't obviously wrote this book yet. And I, I thought to myself, I have to be bold. I have to... I have to really connect with some people that that I can, I can relate to. So I bought his book and I read it. It's called the liberal red, Red, liberal redneck manifesto. And it's just comedian, political comedian stuff. And whatever side of the fence you're on, it it just works because it's funny. But he, he ended up, um, he, he was doing the show in Vancouver and I went with my ex-girlfriend and, and we waited in line, got meet and greet tickets intentionally. And I waited at the very end of the line intentionally, right? And I said to him, I was like, I got up to him and I said, okay, I'm going to get all the fanboy shit out of the way right now. And then we're, then we're going to get down to some conversation. So I, I buttered the toast and I said, oh, your book's amazing. And I read every word of it and I loved it and blah, blah, blah. And you're so awesome and blah, 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 blah. I gave him yeah. all the kudos. And then I just turned around and I said, yeah so it's your first night ever in Canada right and he's like yeah and I said yeah you know weed's legalized here now right and he's like yeah and I said yeah so um you want to go back out in the back of the club there and smoke a joint together and uh shoot the shit and get to know each other and then you can do me a favor And he was like <laughs> he was like what and I said yeah man I'll, I'll do you a favor I'll go get the joint you do me a favor meet me out back and we'll talk about it and he was just like holy shit who is this guy so I he went back there. Yeah. We went back there. We're going, you know, just having a good time. We're chatting. And then he's like, well, what's his favorite, Corey? And I said, okay, here's the deal. I'm writing a book about my former career. And I said, it's a biography. And I was in this industry for 25 freaking years. And I said, it brought me to the top of my game. And I hit the rock bottom of my game. And I said, I got stories till no tomorrow. And I said, all I'm looking for at that time, all I'm looking for is somebody that would consider publishing my book. And I love the way you wrote your book. So if I get to that point, would you be willing to introduce me to the right people? And he said, Oh dude, he's like, what did you do? I said, male exotic dancer. He said, you're a former what? I said, Mr. Nude Canada. He turns around and he goes, holy (laughs) shit. Here's my email. So I get his email. And then a a couple of years go by and I'm writing and I'm halfway through just writing the base of the the story. And I just emailed him off the cuff and thought, Hey, I'm just going to see if he remembers me. And it was like, five hours later, he gets back to me. He's like, Corey, oh my God, how are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. And it was like, so funny. And then all of a sudden I wrote it and I got published. And then it was like, I had this, this, this thing in hand. Right. And I was like, and then it turned around and he turns around and um, I emailed him and I said, Hey, Trey, uh, I'd really appreciate a different favor. I don't need the original one I was looking for. Now I'm looking for something new. I was like, if I send you the first five chapters of my book and you feel that it's worthy enough, would you be willing to write a testimonial on the book? And he's uh, like, dude, send it, send it my way. You're like, so I got to join here. <laughs> right. Right? You got to him with something. Right. <laughs> so nah, you no, know, it was so great that the guy was so awesome. He read the first five chapters, give me, give me the best testimonials in the back of the book. And I just love it because like, it's just, he was so real and authentic with everything. And uh, you know, you just don't, unless you're going to be bold and, and take the step, you're never going to get out of your comfort zone. You can sit in the same damn town, drinking the same drink with the same people for the rest of your life. But that just ain't me.
0: Yes. Oh God. I feel me. like, like you were speaking my language and I just like, Ah, I just love it. I love it all. It's all, it's all good. I, I just because you're talking about vibrations and I really get onto to like the vibration level. I'm like, I want to mm-hmm. be up here. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm right here. Sometimes I'm down here. How do I get back up here? You know, yeah. and I have to wonder as you're writing your book, mm-hmm. how many times did you reread something and get down on yourself and be like, God damn it, I suck. Like, why did I do that? And like have to take a break from it. Like, um, ha- did you have that? uh like that downtime or were you on a roll
1: no I was on a roll I actually like because I went through so much of a roller coaster in my former career I I I was very willing to accept the ups and the downs and so like I I hit so many ups but I had some brutal downs and you know when I really look at it like all I can say is that my, my grandfather who raised me, he might have not have been that emotionally connected. But the words that he spoke to me through morality and integrity saved me when I was there, when, when I was alone. When yeah. I, when, and and I mean that because like so many people that are rock stars or actors or, you know, in the spotlight. And I was in the spotlight, just a different spotlight. Yeah. But like all I'm saying is, is that like when the lights go down and everybody wants a piece of you, right? But you're at your hotel room and there's nobody there. Yeah. and you're kind of facing your own reality you just want to talk to somebody sometimes and somebody is real it's your friend not somebody that's just your acquaintance wanting to get to know you for whatever purpose that's in there yeah, like intent. guess
0: who I know down at the club yeah
1: yeah and so like with that like the, the thing that I would say that I did was I read I, I wrote my book but then I I fortunately had this amazing publishing company, and it's called Daring to Share Global out in Ontario. And the editor, Diana Ryers, she's just the most, like I've heard this a million times, but there's great books that have been written, but amazing books have great editors. And so when I found her, it was like, yes, i had this raw version of what i'd wrote but when she injected the values and the emotional dis- the emotional connection to the to the story like she made me a better writer just by taking her course and just to be able to have all the elements, the key elements to a story, the, the victim, the, the, the bully, the friend, uh, you know, all the components of the hero, right? Like you throw them all in there and you get a really, really gripping yeah, story, but yeah. I just, I just did spat shit out, like you yeah. know sitting there <laughs> just going on. So this happened here and blah, 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 blah. But I wasn't really like, writing it so that my audience was gripped by it but now when I read my book I go back in and I'm just like shit I wrote
0: that <laughs> yeah
1: you know because it's that cool right so but but it's the reason why I say it's that cool is because yes the stories are gripping like that's the hook okay like yeah. everybody kind of wants to know like you might not want to be a male exotic dancer or be a, be a dancer but you want
0: to know what it's so like I don't
1: want to know what it was like like give me a little fucking dirt you yeah know? Like, give me a little yeah. bit of that shit so I kind of know so That was that was it, right? Like, and and it was but when I when I got through that, and I really like kind of figured out those things that that caused me to be where I was, I realized that there was some key things like self worth issues, lack issues, disconnection issues, and those things caused me to be divorced. Those things caused me to go through the downward spirals where it was kind of like, I I understood the root cause of it. Right. So I was communicating with my ex-wife, but I wasn't connecting with her. I wasn't working as a team with her. I was So, so egotistical.
0: Do you mind if I, so how old were you whenever you left the industry?
1: 43.
0: And so just because I'm about to be 40 and I know that I struggle a lot with aging. I love aging. I think aging is an absolute fucking amazing thing. I am grateful to be aging. But I look in the mirror sometimes and I'm like, well, fuck, that shit ain't as tight as it used to be. You know, and yeah. so did that play a part in any of um, your struggles when you were at the end of your game?
1: Oh, God, I swear you have ESPN. You must have read (laughs) my book already. This is ridiculous. Apparently, I'm
0: nailing these questions. I haven't read your book, but I'm going to get it. (laughs) I'm telling
1: you, just popping them out of the park. Okay, so like at the very end of my first chapter, I actually refer to, I'm standing there looking at these guys taking all their clothes off for these women, screaming their lungs out. And I'm not a full new dancer at this time. I'm just a topless waiter, right? I'm standing there looking at this. And I see this one guy, and he's in his mid-40s, somewhere around there. He really, his candle was burning out, man. He really didn't need to be out there anymore. Like, he could tell he was just kind of out there because he had no other choice. Yeah. And I watched this guy, and I was just like, oh, fuck. I never want to be that guy. I just never want to be that guy. And I'm going to do my best never to be that guy. Yeah. So ironically, I, 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 when I left at first, I left the industry with my head kind of held high going Ah, you're only as good as your last show. I'm going to leave on kind of a high. And it was a show that I did. It was just like a bachelorette party out on a boat in the middle of the lake that I live in front of here in Kelowna. And my cowboy hat blew off right when I walked up on stage and it didn't matter. And I just made a lot of money and it was fun. And some of the girls all got drunk and one fell in the lake and there's a whole other story. But...
0: but but at like,
1: the party oh yeah it's always it was always a party you know i was like i was i was pretending to be the first mate and everything else i was like the gilligan going out there anyways yeah, but, awesome. so but but what was funny was this i i got approached um after i decided to retire i was done right and i got approached by a a you're untying
0: the balls
1: (laughs) yeah well i wasn't even having to do that at that point to be honest i was just kind of doing you know private parties around town at that point right and so i ended up uh uh it got called up by this friend of mine and she said oh Corey," she's like I have a friend of mine that's turning 40 and I really am looking for a male dancer. Would you be willing to do it? And I'm like, Oh my God. And I'm thinking to myself, do you like old fat white and hairy? Cause that's <laughs> kind of where I'm at right now. Right. <laughs> that wasn't that bad. I'm, I'm going overboard a little bit, yeah. but, but anyways. And so she was like, Oh no, no, you could do it. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm really not really thinking I'm going to do it. I'm like, and then she was like, okay, seriously, like how much would you charge? And I was like, okay, I'm going to triple my price. I'm just going to throw it out there so that they, they won't snap that up, right? So I just tripled my price and threw this ridiculous amount of money to do a show. And she's like, and she gets back to me like within a half an hour, booked. And I was like, oh, <gasps> fuck.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> so well, at I, that
0: point, you're like, well, I mean, if I'm going to feel uncomfortable, I might as well make triple my price. That's right.
1: <laughs> You're going to pay for my embarrassment right yeah. now. <laughs> so. You're going to be sorry, but. Right, right. <laughs> so I, I go to this community hall in town, and it's not, you know, like I've been under the big lights, right? Like, and I'm going to this freaking community hall with a bunch of people from my hometown that I knew of, like, not knew of but i just knew the scene you know what i mean when you look back at your old school scene and you're like i don't know what those guys are like Uh that was kind of what it was right and there's there's guys on one side of the community hall watching like ufc on their tv on the one side and then there's all these you know Forty-year-old women that are kind of like still holding on to their old-school traditions of being like the rocker and all the rest of that stuff. So, of course, the woman that I'm doing the show for—not taking anything away from AC/DC because I love some AC/DC—but she wanted me to dance to AC/DC, which was not my style. I was into electronica, and she wants me to dance. And I'm just everything was like what I didn't want it to be. That's all I can say. Like everything from the beginning of the show to the end, right? So I go out and do the dance around the chair bullshit, and I, you know, kind of like just embarrass her the best I can, and walk out of there and I just get my pay and leave. And I, I just was like, when I, when I ended that, I was just like, you know, man, dude, you need to take that G string and like freaking get it Don't off. Hang to it up. And, yeah. Like <laughs> take it and burn it. Like you just, just get it out of your life forever. And oh. so that, so that ended. And then it was just kind of like, I, I went through this weird thing where I was trying to do different careers and I went into sales and I went into just all the standard stuff, but honestly, like I could just never find that same type of passion and what I was doing and I just need that creativity that creativity and and now that I'm doing this I have that creativity and not only am I a writer but I'm looking to be an introspective influencer get out and do public speaking and design courses and just help really help men over 30 that struggle with lack unworthiness self you know just the self-acceptance stuff like all the shit that I dealt with but just on a different level it's all relatable stuff I just see it through a different lens that's all. You know, yeah. and, and to me, like if a guy's sitting there and he's struggling with those things, I want them to know that, you know what, that guy that was in the spotlight that you might think had all the confidence in the world. He dealt with the same shit, man. You know, yeah. and so you're not the one, you're not alone in this, in this battle. And there's a reason why right now in Canada, three out of four suicides are men, uh, right? That's a man. fact. That's a damn fact because we, and I'm not saying women have their struggles just as much or more than men. I'm not even here to play a comparison game. Oh,
0: right. Yeah. Right.
1: But, but truthfully, especially with COVID and everything in the equation, like you start taking away that hunter gatherer thing, right. Where you're not able to hunt. You're not able to get the things for your family that they need. And then you got the pressure on you and you start giving up. Right. And that's the sad reality.
0: I think also for men, unfortunately, talking about your feelings, isn't a thing. There's not a lot of uh, places that men can go because if you talk about your feelings, oh, this is, but you're expected to be macho. You're expected to be tough. You're expected to do all of these things. And when you're suffering inside and you have no outlet for it, and I'm only saying I lost my cousin to suicide last year and I just am devastated, you know, still whenever I think about how much pain he was going through. And we could all tell that he was in pain. You could tell yeah. that he was in pain through his actions. Mm. But the fact that there weren't a lot of resources for him, there's, no. you're not allowed to talk about your feelings. And that's, uh, so I, I was going yeah. to ask you, what did you want people to take away from your book? But I'm assuming that stuff like that is well, what you want people to take away.
1: I, I I wrote, it's called Revelations of a Male Exotic Dancer for a reason. There's, there's 10 different, the the first 10 chapters are basically my values and the last one is the final revelation and the final revelation basically is me talking to that person to me talking to myself when i was 30 years old and you know my skewed definition of man enough and my my definition of man enough as i said is the hunter-gatherer the guy that didn't cry the guy that took on all the responsibility hi honey i'm home do you have dinner ready ricky and lucy bullshit you know, and that's not reality. And I was yeah. playing that reality because I was raised by my grandparents and that's what they were. And that's just typical death therapy stuff. Everybody does it. They mimic their bloody parents. And I didn't even yeah. know I was doing it, but I did.
0: Yeah, you we're know? here so, to break the cycle.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what I did. And, and the crazy thing was, is this was what came to me when I wrote that last chapter and it was just kind of like I thought about it and it was like I thought about all the emotions that I bottled up all the emotions that my father bottled up and he would bottle it bottle it, bottle it until eventually it would just be like he would spit something out that wasn't even him and it was all the wrong words and then he would have to come back later on feeling shitty about it and apologize for what he said and the way I word it is, is let the damn break before you damn break yeah simple as that let the damn break before you cry if you gotta cry not everybody has to be top freaking gun tom cruise sitting there not wanting to cry for the camera it's a bunch of bullshit you know you gotta get it out if you don't get it out you're gonna explode and you might end up doing something that you don't even want to do to yourself because i was freaking well there and i really was like i lost everything dana you know like honestly like when florida ended for me and i ended up coming back up here to canada i was an irresponsible idiot I didn't have my social security number in the States. I was working under the table for all the time I was down there and it wow. eventually caught Yeah. Yeah. And it eventually caught up to me. And when I tried to get right, when I actually tried to get that right, that was what hit me because I was told by social security to come back to Canada and get all my stuff reinstated and you'll get a social security number. And I did that and it ended up biting me in the ass and I ended up getting stuck in Canada and I lost my house, my car, my wife, my dog, my cat, the whole white, white picket fence, everything oh that I
0: own. You turned into a country song.
1: Literally. Yeah. I'm 38 years old. I'm sitting up there on the Hill that in December with the snow falling at two o'clock in the morning and just sitting there going, what the fuck happened to me? And what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I don't even know anybody here. And so like, and that was when our relationship fell apart. That's when, but it was the weird thing was this, it was like, that was the, that was the turning point. It was the needle mover. It was the thing that actually made me go you're going to do one thing. You're going to either go in the direction of self-destruction or you're going to go in the direction of progression and get your shit together because it's all on you now, buddy. And that was it. And I had to. And I, I didn't have a car. I had to walk down the mountain. I had to go do a new job that I, didn't, I wasn't even familiar with. I had to go work out, get my exterior back. It was all I knew at the time. But I got that back and I got the acceptance that I wanted again for my ex- exterior. But I still couldn't accept myself. I still hid, hid behind that bullshit. Until this last couple of years, and I still attracted the wrong people into my life, I went the wrong directions, because I was never really willing to face that reality what was inside of me. And when I finally did that, it was amazing, because then it was like, all of a sudden, things started progressing in the right direction. I started going with my purpose and and it's not about money as much as it is about truly like just feeling good about the person that I am. when I look at that person in the mirror and I'm not just talking about the exterior as far as getting older, like the whole getting older thing. I'm fine with it, to be honest, because like when it comes down to it, it's not all about that. The wisdom that I actually have now, I would rather have that than the body and the look that I had 20 years ago. I'll take that now because I'm more of a real person. And that shows as far as the people that are in my life now. And I'd rather have, I've always said this. I'd rather have five, five true friends than 5,000 acquaintances. I'll I'll take that all day long.
0: I am with you on that one. I have a small circle. They know who they are. And I am perfectly content with this core group of people that are my true north, you know, like I can go with them always. And uh, me as an almost 40 year old likes myself a lot fucking more than I liked myself at 25.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and the one thing that I will honestly even say to that is, is that I've learned one of the biggest learning experiences I've had through this process as well is people that normalize me. And it's like, the, the the closest people to me that I was always looking for support from and I'm not just talking I mean my family's supportive in one way but I'm just saying like they're not jumping up and down going oh my god you know you wrote a book they're just like oh we'll see how that works out and then it's kind of like you know my friends that I knew from before they remember the kid that slipped in the mud in his face or whatever they're like looking at that kid and they're like laughing about that so they don't rem- they don't realize who I am now yeah. right and so mm-hmm. it's like but I go introduce myself to the absolute stranger and I'm chatting with him for a few minutes, telling him what I'm doing. And he's like, Holy shit, let me know more. And like, you know, it's just kind of like, yeah. So ah. you get yourself out there and you start to realize, Hey, I'm not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. It's kind of Perfect an awakening.
0: strangers are treating you uh, with respect and they're interested and they're excited for you. And it's, it's mm. amazing because you can have friends and family that don't give a fuck. And then the guy at the bus stop is like, oh, right, man, like way to go. That's awesome. And, you know, that is what I try and do with my social media for the people that are out there. I try and always raise people up because, fuck, man, it's hard. And you can't the people that are supposed to love you aren't always the ones that are going to be there to lift you up.
1: They may not even think their support's even worth it. They yeah. might not even believe that they even mean enough to give you the support, right? There's mud, so many reasons why. When you said bus stop, I crack up because I I love me some Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump's yeah. one of my favorite movies, and in fact, I actually went to where Forrest Gump was filmed, and I was right there, right in that little area and stuff. And I think about that because you know, old Forrest, he was even normalized by the people that he was around, but the people at the bus stop, they were pretty impressed with what Forrest yeah. was doing. And Forrest went on lots of long long walks too, and I did a lot of long walks to figure yeah. my shit out. I didn't go across the country 10 times, yeah. but, I did, I, you know, but I think I had a lot of long walks. Yeah. Sure. I'll do
0: all the walking. I will not do the running though.
1: He <laughs> <laughs> was running. Yeah. yeah. I, I hear you.
0: <laughs> See, I think your impressions are actually pretty spot on. <laughs> hey, well, at
1: least you're not judging me. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm my own worst judge.
0: Corey, <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this story. I was, yeah, was not fun. prepared for the roller coaster ride and how similar I feel that we align. And that's yeah, cool. It was wow. What a cool. great, fun show. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. I like I say, I'm I'm doing the podcast tour right now and I'm hitting all different genres of podcasts because my story doesn't just stick to comedy or it doesn't just stick to no. there's even there's even grief involved in there. There's addiction involved in there. There's a lot of stuff. But, you know, like I guess say, for all the ups and downs, right, like when it really when you really break down to it, I came to realize in the end that I didn't really see my own value. Everybody else saw it. I didn't see my own value. Right. And then when I actually figured that part out and I went, holy shit, I have a lot of value here, I, you know, that was when I was like, OK, now I got to get down to it, stop shitting on myself all the time and get to writing
0: yes i yeah. love it so yeah. talking about writing go ahead and tell people when your book comes out what it's called yeah. again and where they can get it
1: yeah what's well, called Coraline hilton's take it off revelations of a male exotic dancer so like i know that's a long name but i usually just call it take it off and they can figure out the rest for themselves now take it off is a metaphor Um, Of course, it is referring to taking off your clothes, but at the same time, it's it's really, it's about taking off the layers. It's about taking off the layers of life that kind of get put on you from the day you're born and just, you know, you got to strip those things off to really find, you know, your true value, right? And to me, my true value, or I could say my mission, being somebody that kind of has always had this feeling of lack is, is to actually Get to the point where my values increase so much that I never have to worry about money ever again in my life. Because I always worried about money, even though I had money shoved down my G string for 25 years, I always worried about money. So, really, like, it's just weird. I was like halfway across the world on a trip and I still had mon- tons of money in my bank account but still was thinking about money and worried about all the lack and what could happen maybe I'm going to be destitute someday. Yeah. So that's my mission now is to increase my value so I never have to think about that ever again. But to be able to get a hold of me is really simple. It's just takeitoff.ca. Um of course I am here in Canada. You can go to takeitoff.ca. You can get a copy of the book from there. Um my book is being launched January the 18th. So um I don't know if this is going to be broadcast before then. If it's not, just go to takeitoff.ca. You can chat with me on there. You can check out my gallery. There's some skin in the gallery. Nothing, nothing too crazy. But there's some skin in the gallery, uh, you know. And there's a blog. I do a blog in there. Just all the typical website stuff. But I try to make it fun and just kind of enjoy the ride because this is a new roller coaster to be on. And I'm really enjoying this one a lot more than the last one. So yeah.
0: Oh man. I appreciate that so much. Everyone make sure you are going to takeitoff.ca and you're getting a copy of his book. And thank you guys again for joining the ride with me. And don't forget, even if you are not nailing it this week, you're still going to get that participation trophy.